Welcome to Vox Arcana. I'm William. I'm Jake. I'm David. And this is a Dungeons and Dragons podcast, episode 17. This week, we're welcoming our first ever guests to the show, the creators of a highly successful actual play podcast called Tavern of Heroes. Let's welcome Michael and Steven Stagliano. Woo! Woo! identical twins are sound alike, so good luck telling us apart. Oh, well, welcome. Hey, welcome. thanks. Honestly, uh, I, here's how I want to start. I, uh, I We're both just big fans of you guys. I guess we found your... Po- I actually found it on Instagram a few weeks ago now, and I told Steve about it. I was like, hey, these guys are super dope. You should check them out. Um, and I think what I like about you guys the best, and everyone that's listening is probably going to agree, you guys do such a good job of like, it feels very conversational and casual in a way like i'm just hanging mm-hmm. out in a room with you guys drinking beers talking D, but it's also really really informative and i think that's a super hard yeah. combination you know what i mean like there, there's other podcasts out there in this genre that are like just informative and then there's others that are just kind of i don't know a little too silly and they kind of i don't like banter about a, a bunch of other <laughs> stuff and you guys just do a really good blend Strike so balance, yeah. yeah love that about you guys thank you yeah, but that's a lot of what awesome. we're trying to accomplish Thank with the you show. So much. Mm-hmm. It's really good to hear that what we're trying to do is working out. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, enough about us. Uh, <laughs> who are you? Um, who are you? Yeah. So who are you? Who are you? Who are you? What's your name? <laughs> What's your name? So uh, yeah, we're Michael and Stephen Stagliano, and we're essentially board game creators. We started creating board games in was it 2010? I always say 2010, but I think it was. Let's go been, with that. Yeah. Um, and the game that we created, which is called Tavern of Heroes, which is what we, the, the game system we use for our actual play, is actually our fourth title. So Steve and I own a gaming company together that's called Stesso Games. Uh, St- in Italian, Stesso means twin or the same. Anyway, so we have this, uh, this gaming company, and Tavern of Heroes is our fourth title, but it's our first um, RPG rule system that, that we're trying to tackle. Oh, what what are the uh, board games that you made? So it's actually two board games and a card game. The first board game we made is called Spiritual Warfare, and it is a kind <laughs> of a light RPG. There's like twelve characters you can play, but uh, but it's a how do you describe it? It's like it's, a Euro trash game. It, c- yeah, it combines a lot of <laughs> Ticket to Ride or um, Pirates Settled Cove. Catan. Yeah, Settled Pirates mm-hmm. Cove. A lot of, a lot of games that that we just we really lo- uh, loved and, and played a lot of, and we. Uh, one of our initial um, <clears throat> like strategic conversations around making that game was like, what, what if we just took like the our most favorite mechanics that we like and and put them all into one game? Um, so from the game design perspective, that that's where we started. Um, our other title is Mice and Dice, which is more of like a kid friendly um, count up game. It's a it's a dice game. And then our third title, it's kind of like Yahtzee. If you think, yeah, about that's it. a good way. Yeah, this it. is this. I love this about <laughs> Mice and Dice. Our tagline for that game is that it's your turn every turn, like because there's always something going on in the game that makes it feel oh. like you're constantly playing, which is really fun. And then, uh, mm-hmm. and our other title is called Skeleton Creek, which is based off of a uh, a popular YA book series that kind of combines. Um, literature and, and film, I guess, is the best way to put it. Yeah, and so um, that game is basically just a ghost hunt, and it's a three- to five-person game, uh, and at the end of the game, you need to be holding this ghost named Old Joe Bush in your hand. And then, obviously, Tavern of Heroes <laughs> is the first, our first crack at a tabletop RPG, which is basically Steve and I's, like, true love. Mm. Uh, and out of all the games mm, we've yeah. ever played... yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I we have the most fun playing tabletop RPGs. So, 
that's kind of that's our gaming background kind of in a nutshell interesting okay awesome um so i i have just so many questions but i want to comment <laughs> on uh the young adult book which is jake's favorite genre of fiction um no he he absolutely just makes fun of it all the time um <laughs> but i'm looking up these games on um board game geek which as uh, as we all know it's the repository of all board game information mm-hmm. um looks like these are like very fast very light kind of games actually you know what? I, uh, are I they think... even on board game geek the those yeah. the skeleton <laughs> creek you know, blew up a little bit for us because we had a pretty big audience built in. But Spiritual Warfare and Mice and Dice, you know, we like self-published through Game Crafter. Are you guys familiar with Game Crafter? Yes. Yeah, you can mm-hmm. submit all your files and specs. Yeah. Put your cards. Yeah, and it's and stuff. it's pretty wonderful. But you know, that's all self-published. We like <laughs> went to a few cons and sold some copies, but not nearly mm-hmm. you know as as big as Skeleton Creek got uh, the card game. So mm-hmm. this is not your main business then? No, but no. I certainly wish so, but it's very much. Steve actually works for. Do you guys know League of Legends? The um, oh yeah, so, oh yeah. Steve <laughs> works for Riot Games. I can I can, t- I can say. Oh Riot. wow! Oh my gosh, that's Whoa. awesome. Yeah. Um, All right, David, you gotta put your shirt back on. <laughs> yeah. But, David oh. took his shirt off. He does that from time to time. <laughs> when I get excited, he's a, a humongous fan of League of Legends. So, oh yeah, um, nice. I mean he. he I know you can't actually give an autograph over Skype, but oh. um, we're going to find a way. <laughs> I'm giving a virtual high Where there's a will, there's a way. <laughs> um, and then you said you're big fans of role-playing. So uh, kind of get into that, like your history of role-playing games. Sure. Um, we, I mean, look, we, we've been gamers our whole life, starting with the, the NES system um, and played pretty much any, any console game um, through, through high school. Um, and, and didn't even... We tried... We we played D and D third right, and uh, our freshman year of college, we we uh, the, Michael's roommate um, introduced us to it, and we like had a great time. But honestly, it was just like right when Xbox came out, so we we still were were pretty hooked on, on console <laughs> gaming. Dude, Halo yeah. was really big. Back exactly. then. I, literally, exactly mm-hmm. that title oh, and God of so War. Good. Let's be honest, and poker. Remember, like the oh, poker yeah, revolution. Right, right. That we were like playing. <laughs> Every night. <laughs> yeah. So, oh, so yeah. um, I gotta, I gotta cut you off right there because you guys are actually the coolest people I've ever met. Well, <laughs> that's, yeah, like that's it's awesome. official now. You must have not met a lot of people. Uh, <laughs> well, that's true. That's true. Uh, so, yeah, that that was like our, our first go at D and D. You guys have talked about this before, but I, I think like most people, we had to uh, kind of get past that barrier to entry for lack of a better word of those Gary Gygax days. And, and like thinking that D and D was the nerdiest thing that, that nerds could do. Um, once we realized it was just cooperative storytelling, we, we loved it. Um, mm-hmm. but like mm-hmm. I said, pr- stayed pretty hard on console games, started playing world of Warcraft and switched it to PC Starcraft. Um, uh, all those uh, big, big popular titles. Um, wow. and then wow. our cousin, our older cousin got us into Pathfinder actually. Um, I guess we played 5e yeah. for a little while Yeah, we too. played 5e a little bit, but um, we really the last five or six years was all Pathfinder adventure paths and some, Steve and I did a lot of homebrew adventures mm-hmm. and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. but, uh, but yeah, so that, that's really our experience with tabletop RPGs. Well, it's not like we're going to, you know crap on you for liking pathfinder um, and I it's not that, like we're gonna mm, crap on you for liking 5e <laughs> yeah <so. laughs> exactly um i find that um especially back in 2000 ish like when it was third and, and 3.5 mm-hmm. um there's a lot of gatekeeping and like addition wars happening about totally um around in that community and it was a really um from what i have read it was just a toxic time so definitely there was a barrier to overcome mm-hmm. yeah 
You guys only play 5e, correct? False. Oh. No. So false. What, what other? <laughs> so I think that's true play? for me, Jake. Here, uh, I I pretty much play 5e exclusively. I think I played it since launch, and I've just been modding it and making it work for my games since. Right. Right. Um, and I I'm such a kind of theater role play guy that it just it does the trick for me, and I'm kind of not a gamey designer guy, which <laughs> Will and David uh, are much more. <laughs> that than i am so yeah i've stuck to 5e but i don't i don't think we're are we like shoved into that corner of like this is just a D 5e podcast i hope we're not <laughs> like because we talk about game design uh, and philosophy we're a, all the time definitely a D podcast yeah, yeah. i and um, i didn't mean to overstate sorry. it you guys have definitely talked about how mm-hmm. in your own games that you run obviously independently from each other you guys like pick and choose mm-hmm. rules a little bit uh you know and, mm-hmm. and don't mm-hmm. go die hard 5e for sure I'm not even sure yeah. the system that Jake's playing counts as 5e anymore. It's just like, <laughs> Probably not. Probably not. <laughs> this is homemade. Um, no, but like, I mean, I got into the game from playing uh, Savage Worlds, which is like this kind of um, generic system in the sense you could be a sci-fi or a fantasy game. And then I've played a lot of the Star Wars role-playing games we've mentioned on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, I, my, my heart is actually with more of storytelling games. So Dungeon Worlds is just a huge yep. influence on me because it's... Uh, sort of everything I want about D&D with um, the accessibility that 5e really doesn't have for new players. Um, and then recently I play um, Dungeon Crawl Classics, which is kind of an old school spin on that type of game. And actually last week or two weeks ago, I played my very first ever first edition Dungeons and Dragons game. That oh, I ran. oh, no and kidding. It was, it was not what I expected, um, but I learned a lot. In a, in a good way or a bad way? <laughs> Mostly in a bad way. Okay. I, th- I think Will puts it best. No, you, sometimes you win sometimes and sometimes you, win. you lose. Or sorry, and sometimes you learn. And so let's just say I've learned a lot. You know what? You guys actually, I, I don't remember the episode number. I think it was 11. You guys did an episode on getting started. And I can't remember mm-hmm. which one yeah. of you said it, but you know, like... Uh, one of you just started with like one D twenty and basically made up, you know, like your own kind of story, and then just or I think someone even used a flip flop, right? Like that was how you decided. <laughs> oh yeah, you know what I mean. So it's like yeah, I think it's... what yeah. we're all circling around is you know like the actual rule system that you use. Even that is super malleable if you mm-hmm. really think about it. You know. Yeah, and I mm-hmm. I enjoyed that yeah. that episode in particular, and just listening to you guys' discussion of how each of you uh, approached it from a DM perspective, and how polar opposite or diametrically opposed a lot of <laughs> oh, that was cool. the, the approaches were. Like, yeah, yeah. I don't remember which one, but like completely wrote out every possible scenario that could happen or shared. I think that a friend did that. Oh yeah, it was the bridge. Oh, yeah, that was, right. that was me. Yeah, and the other one was like, "We're just gonna wing it and see what happens." And then you know the, the, the bow that came, the, the bow that you put on that conversation or the advice to the the quote unquote getting started player was just to play the game and and I, I I can't agree more with that and I think one of the the genius things about um D&D and Pathfinder and, and other tabletop RPG systems out there is the fact that they are so customizable and and you can you know homebrew and and kind of pick and choose rules as you go which it sounds like you guys have have clearly done as well you know what else I I picked mm-hmm. out from actually I don't know I don't think it was that episode but it was it was another one so and I think you either read it in a book or one of you brought it up like one of your buddies said it. It was you don't need a rule system mm-hmm. to play an elf. <laughs> and I, I just yeah, I, I never thought that about right that. But it's so it's so true. It's such a great way to think about rule systems as it applies to mm-hmm. a tabletop RPG experience, you know? 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. I was going to say that right now if you didn't. So uh, you cut me off. That'd yeah. be great. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you're right. Like, um, the, and maybe I've mentioned this in the show. I'm, I'm worried that eventually I'll just repeat myself because I only have so many stories and thoughts on things. Um, but uh, the reason that I'm drawn to D&D is because I really wanted to be a video game designer, but I'm just terrible at math and programming, so it's just not really an option for That's me. That's out. I think I might I might actually have um, some kind of dyslexia. Who knows? It's too late. Like, I'm, <laughs> I'm an adult now, so that doesn't exist. Um, but in D&D, you can do game design so fast, even faster than a mm-hmm. board game, because you have to, like, cut out a lot of paper when you're prototyping board games. Yeah. yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But in D&D, it's like, hey, look, I just wrote a paragraph, and now we have a rule, and we can just go like right now mm-hmm. and that kind yeah. of freedom of game design is um just hugely appealing to me and a lot of people i don't think i've heard you guys talk about this yet but before D and i think you guys have been playing for like decades or at least a decade um false you know were you guys video gamers like play did you guys grow up playing nes oh, and, and all those as well yeah well mm-hmm. so um i grew up on the sega genesis because my we were a sega family and uh Though I would have loved to play NES. Um, but yeah, like you were saying, World of Warcraft, it was huge in my high school years and college. Um, Halo, all that stuff. Um, and then like the, my, my dad had a PC when nobody had PCs like back in the early 90s. So we played the adventure games like Monkey Island and... Um, <gasps> Whoa. Yeah. Huh. That's so interesting because I come from almost the entirely opposite direction because I Surprise. think of D&D as like not even... <laughs> not even anything like video games i think of it because i come from a role play theater background and so so all of dnd to me is just it's about theater improv um bouncing off each other like it's it's a pure social extroverted like like interaction experience and so yeah i don't know the video games i never even really connected those to like a to the system but but yeah that that's kind of where my weird perspective hmm. comes from of like like it all of this is kind of this play that w- that we are all both the actors and the audience in at the same time sure yeah i mean that's certainly true mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah i know i have a pretty well-rounded background when it comes to like things that have influenced my D play where i've played sports i've played games but then i've also done some theater as well so i've it just all of those things really come together to inform like what I want in a game and how I experience it. Ooh, how does sports influence your D and D design pathos? The rules, like I, the just oh, taking wow. advantage <laughs> of uh, doing um, things within the rules uh, to the best that you can. So I guess I approach it more as a competitive game. That's one of the things that I've had to lessen and focus more on the storytelling because I'm just someone who wants to just win. Are you a min maxer? Oh, yes. oh yeah, yes. that's yes. that's one yes. of my problems with when I play five B. I I'm always min to the max. Min to the max. You know what? I, I I never thought about. It's funny that you said you know you you approached D and D not from a video game background. That's obviously how we did. But I feel like approaching it from the theatrical standpoint like because look it, it's largely mm-hmm. improv you know what i mean that, that yeah. at its core mm-hmm. the yeah. actual experience of sitting down is like it's improv bad. theater and this sounds i feel so stupid i've been playing for like five or six years now i never even thought about it that way <laughs> mm-hmm. and so i'm saying it in the terms of probably the best way in or the biggest skill set you could have that would help you getting into D 
is like being an actor or just being comfortable in improv. And I'm not, I'm obviously not saying if you don't have that background, you can't play it, but yeah, I just never, I mean, it's a skill set. Yeah. Yeah, And I I never thought about how just valuable that is. Well, if you look at um, like, I would say a lot of the popularity of D and D right now is critical role. Um, Mm -hmm. And that show is a bunch of actors. They're not really gamers. They're not, as far as I can tell, game designers. Um, Matt Murch is a storyteller and they're actors. And like you're saying, it's attractive. It's really good. And um, it's introducing a whole new generation and a whole new type of person who probably wouldn't have been interested in um, D&D if it had stayed the same as it was in 2000. Mm -hmm. Even Harmon Quest. Mm -hmm. You look at uh, oh, Dan yeah. Harmon. He oh, they always have guest actors on yeah. who are like pretty big people. Like I think they've had like Kamel Nanjiani and mm-hmm. just some of the actors from Community and other things that he's worked on. And mm-hmm. there, it's it's about like this weird That's storytelling game. Yeah, yeah, perfect fit. And it's bringing all these mm-hmm. people into the hobby. Both of the actually everything you guys just, just said, said yeah. was our <laughs> decided our cast basically so we have a a rotating cast of eight people so steve and i are always on the show one of us is either the story master or or playing in the game and um Uh so all eight of our cast members are actors and like real voiceover talent and you know we we sit down and we talk to all of them beginning and essentially say like what's your background in gaming and i think seven out of eight have absolutely zero experience Mm -hmm. playing tabletop rpgs but the point i'm getting at is Mm -hmm. they all like fully and un you know they just love it like they get done and they're like oh my gosh when can we play again because (laughs) because they're improv like literally three of them are like phenomenal professional improv actors right so they're just so comfortable in this space jake to your point of the the theatrics of it yeah okay Okay, so so i have a question real quick hold on so this might not make the make the podcast but i have a dream of like like starting a you know let's play podcast or something along the lines of of me being the dungeon master and having some some really good you know professionals um that play at the table and then we could stream it or whatever um basically what tavern of heroes is doing so when you are looking for people I mean, are there players that you'll play with in, like, just a normal game that you'll be like, ugh, I could never have them record with me? Or is there, like, kind of a strict weeding out process to get people who are good in front of a mic? Um, I, I think this is Steve. We we were really fortunate in that uh, Michael heads up. Michael's a, a writer, a professional writer, and he heads up a uh, a writing group. And part – well, I'll let you talk about uh-huh. it. <laughs> yeah, I, I run a few different writers <laughs> groups out here in L.A. And so I – and in those writers groups, we use uh, professional actors that basically come and like a cold read or a table read – they read the scripts for the group of writers and then the writers give notes. All that is to say, I've got a pretty wide yeah, network of, mm-hmm. of talent that, yeah, oh. we could pull from. And I say that, and almost all the guys are just our buddies. So to answer mm. your question directly, <laughs> I think the biggest thing, and if you get to the point where you're casting, it's like, you know, energy and like fun in the room. Actually, you guys talked about this in one of your episodes too. It's like the decisions that you make for who you want to be in your group are kind of the yeah, same yeah, as yeah. it is it's as it's going to be for who's going to be oh, on your cast because yeah man like if they, low energy dies on air right like you just yeah. you can't fake yeah. that even if someone has like a great character mm-hmm. voice and like they're really into it if they don't fully engage and get immersed then it it's just not as good so we actually didn't do any like session zeros or like play test with someone or like trying anyone out we just kind of 
yeah, we just felt like, you know, we had this really good talent um, in terms of, I knew everyone personally, we had some great voiceover actors, but the biggest thing was if we just felt like they were going to bring a ton of energy. Yeah, so to say that the same thing a different way, this is Steve now, we, we made a really big bet on the energy and the talent piece over the game knowledge piece, if, mm -hmm. if that isn't inherently obvious, what we just stepped out, um, to the point where, this is not an exaggeration, literally... Before we started recording, the first time that we would play with our, our cast members, we did about a 30-minute crash course into the Tavern of Heroes rules, um, set up a little uh -huh. mini dojo, and would kind of walk through a combat, and then we'd hit record. Um, because again, mm, we wow. you know we, we just we rely very heavily on the energy and talent of of our actors um, and their ability to tell the story along with us rather than their their comprehensive understanding of a rule system because I'm sure you guys would agree with yeah. this. The former is way more important both from uh, a successful game perspective and and an and, and actual play perspective than, than the latter. Mm -hmm. And you know what? The, the last thing I'll say on this is it also kind of – look, I before we started recording the show Tavern of Heroes, I honestly – I probably listened to 40 or 50 other mm -hmm. actual plays – and one of the big things Steve and I talked about in design of the show is tone. Like what kind of, you know, there are some actual mm, plays that are yeah. like um, Adventure Zone is, is like this. You know, it's either very oh, yeah. banter heavy, like, you know, sometimes those guys are just like kind of riff and talk about whatever. Or, <laughs> or you know, yeah, like yeah. it's a true actual play in yeah. terms of like sometimes the, there's actual plays that I don't think they edit. You know what I mean? Like it's just whatever we say is going to end up on air. And so tonally, Steve and I were very conscious about mm. we wanted to lean way towards a one-hour radio drama than an actual play mm. so we do things okay. like you know mm. we drop in sound effects and we do scoring in post-production and then even in the actual session you know what i mean like we're we're just very aware of pace like that's kind of everything like we're mm. constantly pushing yeah. things and yeah. and then uh, we don't. We do a little bit of banter because you know that naturally happens, and sometimes it's funny. But for the most part, you know, mm -hmm. we're trying to tell a pretty serious story. Yeah. Uh, so you know, so that obviously plays its its part in in our cast as well. Sure. And we tell them ahead of time, you know, like this is kind of the the tone we're going for. Mm -hmm. Wow. So I think we've kind of already gotten into the topic a bit. But what is the Tavern of Heroes? <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, so we like to think of it as it's it's the first ever sit-in play, actual play, where, where what we're really trying to do is drastically lower the barrier to entry that new players uh, can have coming into the tabletop RPG world. Um, kind of aspirationally, one of our little our vision uh, vivid descriptors is uh, we want to bring people to the table for the first time, not necessarily back to the table, um, but try to have a, a much broader audience for I get a lot of the things that that we that we just talked about. And maybe I should oh step. Gosh, I, bless you. I should step this out too. There's <laughs> yeah. Tavern of Heroes is a game that is fully unpublished that Steve and I, you know, mm -hmm. designed uh, starting about a year. Actually, last summer, almost exactly a year, year ago, ago yeah. we started designing the rule system that was essentially super stripped down D and D and Pathfinder rules. Like you know, we we okay. were mm -hmm. slightly innovative in like changing names and coming up with new spells and stuff. But it's basically looking at on a very macro level. Hey, what's the, what are like the essential design elements to a rule system that we can incorporate into a new system that is very very rules light, but still has everything mm -hmm. you need to sit down and play. So that's what the game is and then the show is is an actual play where we film or we record um 
you know, members of our cast sitting down and playing. And the big thing that we do that's different, aside from what I already mentioned, which is kind of leaning towards the radio drama, is we're a procedural show. So that means that every two episodes, we tell a complete story. And I, I would venture to say about 96, 97% of the other actual plays are serialized storytelling. So, you know, they're going through an adventure path or a campaign. Oh, mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But, but well, we tell, yeah, like factor, super... Yeah. Yeah, and even in terms of like our gameplay for Tavern of Heroes, the game, like at most, our longest adventure is probably two and a half hours. Most of them come into about 90 minutes. Uh, so, you know, even that is an experience. Like we talk about this all the time when mm-hmm. we would get together our D&D or Pathfinder groups. You know, like you're you're setting aside four to six hours and a lot of the time that makes it just hard to schedule that amount of time, yeah. especially with yeah. kids running yeah, around. Yeah. So, yeah, we, we were like, what? It'd be really cool if there was a way to play the game and get it done, get in and out in two hours. Yeah, and look, that's not all-encompassing. Obviously, you can do one-shots and stuff, and, and you can totally book a session that's just an hour or two hours. But, you know, to really feel like you got something done in a campaign, uh, in like a big open-world sandbox, you know, like yeah. you, you kind of have to do four hours minimum. Like we were talking about, we talk about it all the time. <laughs> mm-hmm. So anyway, that that's kind of the difference between the the game and the show but frankly we designed a lot of the rule system in the game based on this kind of new approach to the genre of actual play mm-hmm. podcast like just what could we do that's that's different because you know there's there's a lot of content already in mm-hmm. the actual play space yeah yeah i think that's great i love the approach of just trying to make the game more approachable for new players I know for me personally, when I got into D&D and found out about 5e, I loved reading through the books and all the systems and like finding ways to abuse certain spells. Some people <laughs> hate doing that. And I think I think a majority of people do because they're like, yeah. oh, there's just so much stuff I got to get through to figure out what a wizard does and all the spells they can cast. <laughs> yep. And I love that you're just making it very simple and approachable. And it's like, hey, you can pick it up and learn it in 30 minutes. Like, mm. that's something where normally D&D can't be done. <laughs> I'm not sure I know D&D, like, well enough at this point. There's still more to learn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's, you know, we always feel the need to be careful when um, we say that we, you know, made a, a really simple system or, or wanted to create a system that was that had a low barrier to entry. Because I think by the very nature of doing something different, in a, it applies that the, the previous systems that we know and love um, are not good and that we don't like them. And... You know, I just want to be very clear. We love D&D and we love Pathfinder, love those systems. Um, But we always joke around about how kind of the the problem space that we saw was when we wanted to invite family or friends to come in and join, Uh, you know, an adventure path or something. Mm -hmm. We would literally, the the joke is, here's a 365-page rule book. We'll see in about a month (laughs) and then we'll roll your character, which will take about two weeks. So, you know, in about two months from now, we can can get you into the group. And that was just always such a, a strong pain point. So... Actually, yeah. you know what? Mm-hmm. I think a good distinction here, too, is you guys have talked about this before on your show. It's there's a way to make a player's first time sitting down mm-hmm. easier. Like you can, you know, you can do pre gens and, you know, you can, for the most part, you can just tell them, like, you tell me what you want to do and then I'll kind of tell yeah. you the rules that fit that. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like there's a way to make it mm-hmm. more cooperative storytelling and less kind of rules mashing for sure. But, one of the big things that we found was, especially for GMs, there is there was a tendency, mm. like, we would get done with a session, and Steve, who ran our game, would have, like, 
all of this content prepared, like all of this backstory, all of this lore, and we basically mm-hmm. clear a dungeon or finish a boss fight, and he, and like ten percent of what he read and prepared would have come out. So my so as it <sighs> applied to a design choice for Tavern of Heroes. When we design our adventures, we specifically got rid of all of the heavy lifting for the GM. And I mean that so specifically so that like you could literally pick up our, we call them, you know, just an adventure document. Basically, you could put that on the table and just start reading. Like we have, you know, a point, uh, a section that just says like narration, just read this to your players. And then there's a little bit of italicized dialogue for you to know like internally as the as the story master as the dm in our game is a story master so you know like how could you make it so that it really is a sit and play like just like setters of Catan mm-hmm. sitting in your game closet you could pick up tavern of heroes hand out the hero sheets to the players and go. P- open up an adventure and and lay down the map obviously and then just start playing like is that really possible and i'm saying that like that's what we're trying to do we haven't even released a beta version mm-hmm. so we haven't even play tested this really outside of just our cast and a few other people like friends of ours that have tried it out but but that's kind of the goal like is Mm -hmm. is that possible remove all the heavy lifting for the gm make it super low barrier entry so that yeah you can just sit down and start playing a tabletop rpg wow so you're not just lowering the barrier of entry for players but also for gms yeah i felt like that was worth making the distinction because you guys talked about this like Mm -hmm. you know how do you start being a gm and you guys were saying this and i totally agree with it it's like you kind of have to just start. You know what I mean? Like you, you yeah. need a dice, you need paper, you need to draw a map, and you, you obviously need to know what the rules are to a certain degree. <laughs> you don't need to know all of them, but you need to know some of them. But but yeah, how can we make it so that, look, a rule book is seven pages. You like you can kind of read that. Fig- mm-hmm. Everyone reads that, kind of figures it out, just like you would do for a regular board game. Like how can how can we make that the experience for, mm-hmm. for starting down? Mm-hmm. Wow. wow, that's amazing because from what I gather... What you're trying to do is basically say, like, hey, we have D&D, and it's almost a board game in your closet that you can just dust off, pull out, and just play. That's exactly, yeah, and you that's don't a, have to. That's exactly it. Mm-hmm. And one other thing, and this actually, I, mm-hmm. I want to give you guys a little kudos. You guys said something that I had never thought of before. Um, I believe it was in your Dungeons episode. You guys were talking about, oh. uh, you know, what, what it's like to go through a dungeon crawl. Mm-hmm. And um, mm-hmm. one of you was saying... Or maybe it was a getting started episode now. I don't remember. Anyway, one of you guys were talking about like it's very easy to approach the experience of a dungeon crawl, especially like from the MMORPG mindset or from a video game, like a first person shooter mindset. It's like, you know, you want to get mm-hmm. in, you want to wipe out the mobs and get to the boss fight, basically, right? And it made me think mm-hmm. about Tavern of Heroes in the context of like, honestly, guys, from a design concept, kind of what we're doing or trying to do is make the our experience of playing Tavern of Heroes kind of like a video game. Like we're kind of we kind of lean mm-hmm. towards that a little bit more than the like mm-hmm. open sandboxing really big narrative so like cooperative story like yeah 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 it's yeah. it's a little more of a hack and slash you know what i mean like you kind of get yeah. in you're certainly doing some role playing but we have heroes mm-hmm. that are already you know you sit down with your hero sheet and then it's basically like yeah like tell us what you do tell us what the character says but for the most part the adventure is on a railroad track we're not exactly we don't really allow for open world sandboxing um, you know, and obviously it's mm-hmm. mostly just for the sake of time and the experience mm-hmm. of, yeah, you get in there and you beat yeah. a bunch of bad guys up and, you know, in two hours we've told a complete story uh, and, and you're done. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, that's awesome. I, because when I, I remember you, 
you sent us the the doc for the system and I was going through it and I'm I'm like reading through I'm like oh there's abilities and ultimates I'm like oh that sounds so much like League of Legends characters <laughs> oh. sure and then to find out that you work for Riot that makes so much sense yeah David because... I, it's funny I was I was gonna jump in and um, literally I was gonna say I want to pull back the curtain for you a little bit here and and tell you that yeah the, I, I obviously love League of Legends and there was a massive influence on. The game design system or the the the, the nugget that we kind of rested on in our strategic development was our our D and our Pathfinder uh, hero sheets or character sheets were anywhere between like five to nineteen pages long. And yeah, if you're a spellcaster <laughs> in Pathfinder, oh, oh your character sheet is forty pages. Yeah, is a novel. And 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 again, oh, I'm, I'm with you. Like I'm actually I'm actually one of the people that that really enjoy that. Like I like doing a deep dive into the rules and mechanics and seeing how I can. Um, you know, work this system, but uh, not not that the vast majority of people are like this, but at least to make the game more mainstream or, or maybe appeal to uh, a, a different audience, we had to make a really mm-hmm. conscious decision from a design perspective to drastically narrow down the the choices that um, a player can make for their heroes. And so that boiled down to largely because of League of Legends influence. Every hero has three mm-hmm. abilities at an ultimate, and then our spellcasters have five five spells. Yeah, I um, think five to seven. Mm-hmm. One page. Yeah, one and, page of spells. And, and that's it. Um, hmm. But yeah, David, that's 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 just for you. The, the abilities. Oh, thank you. I'm, I'm pretty so pretty direct ripoff. I, I got I got a, I, I got approval from legal. By the way, legal. did you actually have to do that? No, no. because you can't copyright uh, oh, okay. mechanics or anything like that. Um, True. Uh, but oh, I totally wish you would have said yes. You'd be like, yeah, it was like a three month process. Our lawyers went back and forth. We had to copyright. Okay. Also, yes, we're still in litigation. I have a question kind of uh, related, kind of switching gears a little bit. I, um, in the past year or so, I've kind of, as I've listened to more Critical Role and Adventure Zone and just like random Let's Plays, I've been like, oh man, these are all really good and their production quality is really high and they like, I don't know, they have like a an intense, uh, I don't know, adhesion to like the narrative, like they don't go off into crazy rabbit trails and and kind of derail the whole story. And so I've been like, okay, I am going to treat my sessions at home like they are being recorded or that like 10,000 people are watching. Mm. And Mm. so if when I'm doing that, I found my sessions got better is because I knew that I I needed to get to the narrative. I needed to cut to the chase. I needed to make sure all my players were engaged all the time. And so some of, like, pretending that I was, you know, hosting a Let's Play or, like, like a, a sort of podcast out there, it made it better because I had this hypothetical audience that I was trying to please. And so I would I would make my game better almost unconsciously. So you guys who are in the trenches who are actually doing like a let's play podcast, how do you think like what what are some pieces of advice that you could offer to dungeon masters at home um that could maybe streamline the process or maybe just keep their players off their phones during sessions? Do you have any advice for for home dungeon masters? Yeah, that's that's a really interesting point and especially because, you know, I I have been in sessions where <laughs> you know, I'm the guy that's leading it off to tell like, did you guys watch Avengers Infinity War? And you know, like you like this reminds me of that move. Like it's it's so easy to do. And for the record, yeah. he was a player in, in one of my sessions where 
And look, I mean, that can be part of what makes the experience of a tabletop RPG really fun. You know what I mean? Like you're palling around with oh, your yeah, buddies yeah. and, you know, like you're ha- eating Doritos and, you know, like you're you're talking about guy stuff. And, and I'm sorry, that sounded so exclusive of women. I love playing... Half of our cast are female. But you know what I mean? Like, that is a big part of the experience. But, like, yeah, but, yeah. but what I'm getting at, Jake, and which I, I just totally agree, to me, immersion and staying engaged with the story, it doesn't really allow for that. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's just, it's so easy to let a really suspenseful moment or build fall, fall off if, yeah, someone starts chatting it up about Infinity War. So I don't mm-hmm. think... That a DM should ever be like, "Hey, uh, Paul, shut up, man!" Like, what? We're, we're let's talk about you know, because like that can even that can even kill it. So I guess it's just it's a really fine yeah. balance. And you guys actually talked about this too. It's like making sure ahead of time, either b- before every session or when you're putting the group together, if you say, "Hey, guys, I want this to be like you are watching a movie for three hours. Like, I want this to be fully mm-hmm. immersive. I want to put on sirenscape and background music. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I want yeah, this to be yeah, so yeah. intense for you guys. And look, there can be sessions where you guys are outside of combat and you're sandboxing and, you know, exploring a town or whatever that probably allows for a little bit more banter. But, man, once it gets down to, like, we're going to a boss fight, yeah, man, turn off your phones. Don't talk about Infinity War. And, like, let's, you know, let's really sink our teeth into it. Yeah, so well, I, th- mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. maybe to, to, to boil down, this is Steve, um, what Mike was saying is is just around setting expectations. Um, f- for me, it, it's a it's a preparation piece, or my advice is gonna is is gonna be more aimed at preparation. And um, there could be some controversy here, and I'd love to hear your thoughts. But um, a- as a GM or in our game, a story master, I I spend more time working on um, a- accents or thinking of like what an environment is going to smell like or what, what are the players going to hear? Like, uh, or to use the word, Michael, yeah, the the creation and the immersion. (laughs) Um, I, I, I spend way more time on that than I do about the rules. And maybe this ties into expectations of, uh, you know, for a a GM or a DM setting expectations for a table of like, look, we're, we're going to be a group that worries about the story and the narrative more than the rules. Um, and, and I know that that's a point of controversy where, uh, you know, you, you can't ignore the rules, but, um, at least my style of story mastering and, and certainly Tavern of Heroes is just much more catered to the story and like having an an experience and cooperatively telling the story together that feels very Mm -hmm. real, um, rather than, ever getting getting bogged down and sidetracked by by rules and mechanics again not not that i don't like and really appreciate rules and mechanics um but Mm -hmm. just the story comes first michael and i are both just natural storytellers and so i think we just gravitate speaking to my soul yeah right we just gravitate more towards you know the the narrative and the experience of the story rather than the rules surrounding it hey so how do you guys deal Mm -hmm. with yeah you know, just banter and phones, frankly. Like, that that can kind of be what it comes down to. Oh, like, that's will you such guys a ever, because you're all DMs, will you guys ever be like, yeah, hey, Paul, put your phone away or I'll break it? You know, because, like, honestly, it can, it can, can yeah. drive you freaking crazy, right? So, oh, man. Hmm. I don't know that I directly address it a lot of the time. Usually, I use it as a gauge. So, I can tell yeah. if my players are engaged. If they're not on their phone and if they're wanting to, if they're asking questions, if they're doing things in the game and if they aren't, that means that I'm failing as a GM to 
continue to immerse them in this world and I'm failing to engage them in a story. So I try to do more things in the game to try to draw them in. Sure. Hey, you know what I was curious about, what you guys have talked about before, but I don't think you've addressed directly. Have mm-hmm. have any of you ever kicked someone out of your game? Because it's like breaking no. up with a girlfriend, man. Oh, I, th- I think for me, I, I've never kicked someone out of my game because I have been very, very intentional about knowing what kind of game I'm running and to know if the players fit into that kind of game. And so I, I'd like to believe that I'm an adaptive enough dungeon master that I can do some things to almost please anyone. Um, but if I'm doing a long campaign, if I have like a, a good six month or year long campaign set up, it's like, I am going to be very, very selective of my players to the point that I have never selected a player that has, you know, failed my initial litmus test that I would have to kick them out. Um, yeah. I want to, I want to share a quick, a quick story. Um, <laughs> oh yeah. So oh, I've never, wait. I've never kicked a player. <laughs> I've never kicked a player out of my session, but, um, I have kicked people out of the room that weren't in. So we were, um, this was a, uh, a rise of the Lunar Lords, uh, a Pathfinder campaign. And Michael remember mm-hmm. this, we had just got to this place called the Fox Club Manor, which is essentially just a haunted house. And so I, I, you know, went really hard on like the candles and dimming the lights and, and, and really setting, uh, the, the the tone um, and and the room to to make sure that the players were immersed and uh, you know ha- had all the it was just guys this this session um, at the table really good moments and everyone was like feeling creeped out and then my wife and my sister and I think your wife um, all walked in from like this bowling night they were like doing tequila shots and they were like hey hey what are you guys doing oh where's your heroes and i want you to picture the scene oh, from no. four christmases where vince vaughn tells uh, uh oh my gosh i'm breaking a reese with spoon to get out of the room i was literally i literally i kid you not i put my hand up to my wife and i was like i love you you, you gotta get out of here you gotta get out you gotta, you, gotta, you, gotta, you gotta get out of the room and they were like really offended i was like you don't i, I literally told them i was like you don't understand i spent hours like prepping this experience and like trying to make it immersive and you're literally ruining it please go upstairs oh no <laughs> oh my gosh hey where do you guys all play do you guys play at your house or like at gaming stores or libraries yeah, or where do you guys question. play oh so um we we have a house and so um and my wife and I, not not David and I. I was yeah. like, oh, I didn't know you guys lived here. That's working out. Though really uh, <laughs> no, usually David is at my house, so it's kind of like he lives here. Um, but yeah, we play here, or sometimes I go over to other people's houses. I don't do a lot of game store playing because they all close like at nine p.m. I know. And I'm like, I know. we're just getting started. <laughs> I I play. I actually am very very lucky to have a designated Dungeons and Dragons room. Uh, which is, oh, I mean, God. and here's the thing. Yeah, I don't live in a house. Jake, I live in, in a, I live I mean, in we a, fly there. <laughs> <laughs> I live in a, Will, Will has been here. Uh, I live in a, a two bedroom apartment and one of those bedrooms is a completely <laughs> devoted <laughs> game amazing. room. So. I'm going to be honest. That made it sound less cool, but that did, that sounds less cool. I, it I thought you were going to no, be like, I mean, I'm living in Kentucky. I got like a six bedroom, three bath. Yeah. The basement oh. is just a fully transformed. Soon. Dungeon lab. No, nope. Complete opposite. But like, I have posters all up of various fantasy maps 
and flags oh, awesome. and various superhero posters and and oh, uh, Indiana Jones posters. And it's just like it, the room you, you enter and you're just bombarded. Like your senses are bombarded with with color and light and candle smells. And like, <laughs> I don't know, it's, it's my creative zone. And so that's where I do all oh, of I my podcasting. That's where I do all my work. But then, yeah, every about twice a week, I'll have just a devoted dungeons and dragons game and it's just like my sanctuary <laughs> so i love this room you're doing well, you're doing well jake i don't know if anybody's told you that but you're doing well, right? <laughs> hey I, I have a question I, I i thought you guys were going to cover this in episode one but you didn't what are all of your day jobs it sounds like one of you i don't know which one it is now like are are, are one of you a novelist or a screenwriter or something one of you sounds like you you're super aware um, or maybe super well read in in fantasy novels or something that's probably either jake or me william um, and actually, so about that, we, we're bothered by podcasts that just have banter and they talk about their freaking personal lives for an hour. Sure. Totally. <laughs> yeah. and, and so like, we will kind of get into that, I think later, and it, it's probably this episode actually, um, where we talk about our personal lives, but, um, my day job <clears throat> until, uh, two weeks from now, cause I'm giving my two weeks on Friday. Actually, it's funny that you ask is a <laughs> marketing guy for an insurance broker here in town. My wife is a wedding and senior photographer. Oh, dope. And so, yeah. And so basically her business is also my business. Um, in fact, before we did this recording, I was editing a wedding. So yeah, busy, busy. Cool. Nice. Yeah. And then for David. me, this is David. Uh, I'm getting my real estate license. Dope. So I'm going to be selling houses soon. <laughs> and that's in Bakersfield, in Bakersfield right? Yeah. Yes. Cool. Yeah. That's awesome. I just converted... Um, in the past few months to full-time podcasting. Um, I have a history podcast that I do that I would call mildly successful. Um, and so that's getting off the ground. And then um, essentially for the past year, uh, all of last year, I was a uh, foster care social worker. Oh, that's awesome. Um, cool. And I actually uh, invested in Bitcoin fairly early. a boy? In and, a good way uh, or a bad way? Got, in a good way because oh, I yeah, just like – I sold everything in like December, which was like the height. Um, and then, so I'm living off kind of my Bitcoin earnings um, while being a podcaster until my wife starts working as a speech therapist next month. Uh, so oh that's, my that's, my, that's awesome. Yeah. So I'm, I'm loving full-time podcasting right now. I'm going to repeat yeah. my last statement and say, good job, Jake. You're doing well, man. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Jake lives the fantasy <laughs> life where he plays D and D twice a week for like four hours. P pun intended, <laughs> right? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yes. then he just uh, looks at audio forms all day. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. awesome. So yeah, uh, now we have to flip the question back to you. What do you do aside from this awesome uh, Tavern of Heroes podcast and designing board games in your spare time? Sure. So I'm a I'm a screenwriter, and look, I say that I'm primarily a a stay at home dad. I I've been in a TV room, and I've sold some stuff, and option stuff, and dove development work for big companies out here in LA. But uh, when I'm not in a TV room, you know, I, I'm a stay-at-home dad. And when my son sleeps, I I write all the time. So so yeah, so oh, I'm a screenwriter wow. and have been since 2015. Awesome. Have you screenwritten for any shows that we might know or movies? Um, the, the quick answer is no. Um, <laughs> but there was a show on VH1 called Daytime Divas. You can look it up afterwards. It was it's it wasn't just a bad show. It was one of the worst shows that has been on television since television started. Uh, so that didn't exactly <laughs> no, make my oh, writing no. career boom. And look, I'm more of a like a genre 
horror, fantasy, sci-fi, adventure, drama writer. And this was, mm -hmm. uh, you guys know the talk show, The View? Yeah. yeah. Yes, this was like a scripted version of The View. I probably don't even need to oh, say anything oh, no. else so you know it was so oh, bad. No. <laughs> uh, but, you know, so that was back in 2016. And since then, it's been all just freelance and development work for uh, like mm -hmm. Vertigo and Sony and uh, a, a bunch of other producers and <clears throat> uh, production companies out here. And then that was Michael. And then Steve. Well, I feel like I need to add an anecdote that Michael's my twin brother. And I watched 30 seconds of that show. <laughs> and I was like, well, I'm never watching this again. <laughs> Not as far as I can support him. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I... Uh, Actually, I just want to add this, Jake, just so I can relate to you. Um, I was a teacher for four years and taught history. So right on, man. Keep going with the history oh, podcast. awesome. Um, yes. Love that. Yes. Uh, but, and I won't take you through my, my work history. I've been at Riot now for um, almost uh, a year and a half, a little over a year and a half. Um, and I work on our esports events um, for anyone that's oh, listening that doesn't oh, know what man. that is. Um, I like put David, on... put your shirt back on. <laughs> David, David, we talked about this. <laughs> Uh, actually, David, I do want to get your uh, your summoner name so we can um, boost each other. But oh yes, uh, yeah, I um I work on our esport event, so it's basically like if you think of the the game, the five on five game as as a sport. Um, I put on like mm -hmm. the Super Bowl events for our sport, so we have a, a pretty robust calendar year. Um, but I, I focus on our international events, um, specifically the live experience that fans have when they come and, uh, and sponsor mm -hmm. integration into our space just to make sure that they, that they succeed with us. Cause you got, you guys will love this. This is Michael Steve interviewed for okay. riot. No, no, no. It's great. For yeah, no, it's great. a year and a half. <laughs> what was the total number of interviews? 42? 41 interviews. He had 41 wow. interviews before he got the job. That's how competitive oh it is. Gosh. Isn't that bananas? Jeez. Yeah, they, mm -hmm. Dude, you got some grit. Wow. Well, wow. it's it's I at the time, I was like, this this is starting to not feel like perseverance and just stupidity. Um, <laughs> but it, uh, yeah, it all it all worked out. It was just a really, really, really competitive uh, hiring process. It's something like one percent wow. of the applicants, or the one the, the stat that that got me. They um, the year I was hired, uh, twenty to the, literally January, or no, I guess I got the offer in twenty sixteen, but. Um, there were 42,000 applications for the company and, and they made 258 <laughs> hires, uh, which is, which is just bananas. So I should, I should, wow. I should clarify. It wasn't, it wasn't 41 interviews for one position. There were, there were six different positions throughout that year and a half that I was, um, being considered for, uh, they actually called me for the one that they ended up hiring me for. And then ironically enough, literally starting next week, I'm, I'm starting on, on a new role, uh, in the company still in esports. but I digress. Uh, yeah. So that's what, that's what wow. 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 Okay. I so am, here's the thing. I, I got to say impressed. something. So <laughs> David, me and David were uh -huh. driving back from up. We were spending the night at a cabin uh, with a bunch of people and we were driving back and David was talking about esports. And this was mm. like, what, 2012, 2013. Mm. And I was like, David, probably. quit that foolishness. Esports will never be a thing. <laughs> and David oh said, my. just watch, Jake. And Ooh, here we no, are, and David, you are right, David. You were right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm so happy. Yeah, I, I like to say it's it's the biggest thing that you don't know about that that people don't know about. Um, mm -hmm. It's 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 crazy, and and I don't I don't mean to just speak for for just riot. Just just the esports industry alone is absolutely uh, exploding um, by Overwatch. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, or yeah, several other. Uh, we don't even look at them as competitors. We look at them as just just ambassadors for the sport. But I mean, I mean, mm-hmm. crazy. Just in 2017 alone, our World Championships was in China this year, and we sold out the Beijing Nest in 22 minutes, which is a, a 90,000 yeah. seat venue. Um, <laughs> literally crashed. Wow. Wow. Uh, Demai, which is their their ticketing t- ticketing platform, crashed it because there were 300,000 con- or I'm sorry, 800,000 concurrent users trying to buy tickets. <laughs> And just it, literally the website exploded. Um, so yeah, man, it's it's just crazy the uh, the, the numbers and, and the growth in the industry in general, not just not just for League of Legends. Wow, mm-hmm. wow. Um, what were we talking about? <laughs> yeah, we're talking about D D, right? Yeah, D D. Let's play the esports because I'm into it. <laughs> oh, so I, I guess I have a question that can bring us back in. Okay. So you talked about how you want to keep your adventures down to about two hours. Mm. Now, I've heard of people on Reddit saying that they play for four, even eight hours, like making it all day ventures to play D&D. So how do you prep an adventure specifically only to last about two hours? Sure. And I can speak yeah. to this. It really the comes story, down to yeah. s- the structure of the story and and one key design difference between what can be a Pathfinder or D&D experience and what a Tavern of Heroes experience is. And really that comes down to sandboxing. Like our, our adventures just don't really allow for players to be like, mm-hmm. well, now I want to go over to that city. Like, you know, there, you would have to be like, well, there's nothing there. You know what I mean? Like it just, <laughs> we have, we have Pat's seat. Yeah. That's and, and structurally we are, um, are, podcast is told in three acts it's a three-act story and the adventure breaks down to a three-act structure as well and essentially what that means is within the first five or six minutes of sitting down to play the game you are presented with a problem or a mission you essentially have you know like some clues some asking questions Mm -hmm. maybe rolling some checks before you're in your first combat which is basically like you know the lesser level bad guys a trash mob and then that's act two. And then act three is the resolution of the story in the form of the big bad uh, boss that you're fighting. So you know what I mean? Like just mm-hmm. the railroad mm-hmm. stays on the tracks. There's definitely some decision making. Like, you know, we let the heroes choose to go to uh, path A, path B or path C. But generally, they're all going to end in the same place with some exceptions. And look, it is still cooperative storytelling. So sure. like the players can totally decide to do things that are not expected. But A, because mm-hmm. our rule system is way more limited than a 365-page rule book. You know, like, it, mm-hmm. everything has to stay on the tracks a little bit more. Um, this this yeah. is Steve. I'll be honest, too, and I'm sure you guys would empathize with this. Uh, you know, because Michael is is a screenwriter and a storyteller, like, by trade and profession, I think it was much yeah. easier for him to to hone in, for lack of a better word, his story uh, the first adventure that I wrote, I, I, we might even end up cutting because it was frankly a disaster in terms of uh, story structure. And, you know, because I just I, I, I couldn't fight the urge um, or I, I think resist the the habit that I developed from from Pathfinder of like every single person that the NPC that, that, that the heroes came across. I wanted to like have a backstory for them and I wanted to like connect mm-hmm. all the dots and. Um, mm-hmm. You know, have journals that they would find that like explain anything, <laughs> yeah, explain yeah. everything. Um, and you know, and that that's just not what our game is. Again, not that we I don't absolutely absolutely love those things and love a really really in depth story. Um, but that's just not what we're what we're going through going for in our system. But yeah, definitely had to had had to fight the urge initially to provide these like really in depth broad 
um, narratives. Hmm. So it sounds like you really just have to be very focused and you have to have players who are willing to ride the rails with you. Um, like you're not going to go recruiting, selling people on the idea of this open world sandbox um, because I think that you have a very specific um, product, very specific experience, and it seems like it works really well. Yeah, you yeah. know what's interesting? One of the one of the things we talked about separately from story structure and um, open world versus staying on the, the tracks is even down to a mechanics rule system design, Steve and I were like, you know, we never really cared if no. we rolled a knowledge check or a perception check that was high. You know what I mean? Well, like, if we ever rolled a natural 20 knowledge check, I never had the player experience where I was like, yes, tell me everything about this, this <laughs> land. You know, like, we just never... So we, it took a long time. We yeah. fought on it for, I mean, probably months. But then we just decided, like, is it possible to cut any knowledge checks? And even looking at the specific like like just perception like if you walk into a room and your dm says roll a perception check you know like is that a fun experience it, mm -hmm. or, or like mm -hmm. how many times oh, if everyone rolls point. under a 10 are you like all right well you still kind of see anything anyways yeah, you know the GM. <laughs> so we were like what if we change just perception to like we're going to use the mechanic of perception checks to decide like if you're going to earn a surprise round mm -hmm. Or not, or like if bad guys are gonna get a jump on you or not, and like, and then kind of leave that to just be like, that's it, like that's all yeah, that like that maybe you discover like a hidden uh, wooden, you know, a wooden board that's loose or something like that, but that, that's pretty much as far as we'll go. Yeah, so it's looking at all uh, actually, it really specifically applies to our skills too, like that's where we were really, really picky. So we have five skills in our game, and you know, in Pathfinder, mm -hmm. I don't know the actual number in D&D, &D, uh, in 5e, yeah, yeah, but it's you know, it, it's a lot. And and look, I, I I'm feeling the need to say it again. It's like we love those things. Like we want it to be. I, I want it to be fifty skills, and you know, and then you like specialize <laughs> yeah. in all of them, and you know, you Fashion can yeah, you can hyper, uh, just just make your character super super specific. I love that. But for someone that's sitting down to play, if you look at a list of fifteen skills, you're like, well, what the what what are all these do? Like you just don't know. And so so mechanically <laughs> yeah. deciding on the five that we did, you know, is basically mm -hmm. like these are these these big umbrella skills that, that honestly like kind of give you everything that you need. Like athletics for us covers like just about anything you want to do. That's physically going to move mm -hmm. your character, whether mm -hmm. it's, you know, jumping or dodging a free attack or, I mean, yeah, just, just kind of all encompassing. Yeah, And it's funny, Jake, you, you asked about story, but we, we kind of also gave you a mechanics answer because it's, it's interesting from a game design perspective, how much you have to vacillate back and forth between uh, you know, if, if you're going to trim the story down, you have to make sure that your mechanics can support that. And if you're going to have lighter mechanics, then there's going to be sacrifices or trade-offs you have to make from the story perspective. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Hmm. That's interesting. Uh, it oh, sounds man. like you kind of landed on uh, the same conclusion that I did about skill checks. Because um, you're saying like, oh, well, you rolled not enough history, but I just want to tell you anyway. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it was uh, only have your players roll if there's an interesting consequence for failure. Boom. Because so often, like uh, when I was just starting out, it's like, oh, I try to climb the ladder. I'm like, uh, roll the dice. I fail. Uh, I, you can't climb the ladder. You know, it's like this is it's ridiculous. So, yeah, um, it seems like you've kind of taken that conclusion um, and built it or maybe just simplified it through the whole system where it's like, well, if it's not going to be interesting, then it doesn't need to be in the game. Yeah, that's a, a beautiful way mm -hmm. to say it. Yeah. If there's not a direct consequence to the dice roll, the dice don't need to be rolled and they're not going to be need to be rolled because there's not mm -hmm. a mechanic in place to support yeah. it. Yeah. 
Yeah. Very cool. So as a, as a screenwriter, are there any kind of rules that you follow when creating an adventure or a story kind of like the, the hero's journey kind of concept? Are there anything, is, is there anything like that that you tend to pull from when designing a game? Yeah, sure. I I think it, I would love to say that I incorporated the hero's journey because I studied that for so long, but you know, that's, that's more, and this isn't all encompassing, but you know, that especially applies to a little bit longer form storytelling. The, the big Mm -hmm. thing that I kept in mind for designing the adventures is honestly, and this is a structure thing that applies to screenplays as well. It's just goal obstacle. You know what I mean? Like it's that simple. It's like, here Mm -hmm. a perfect example are one of our adventures, just, you know, a little girl goes missing and you need to figure out where she is. And once you find out who took her, you got to beat them up. You know what I mean? And like, that sounds so simple, but like that is enough. Just that simple plot device of, Mm -hmm. Hey, here's Mm -hmm. the, the problem. And then what's the obstacles that are in the way of you solving it? Like, that's something I learned from screenwriting, and we took that and really looked at just that alone, that simple plot device, and then how can we apply that to mm-hmm. adventures that are going to be done in two hours? You know what I mean? And look, I think that what we're really talking about is, yeah, you know, you kind of trim all the fat of everyone's backstory. Like, that's kind of the big thing. And again, I'm saying mm-hmm. that, and I love, that's like part of what I love about D&D is like really <laughs> diving into finding out everything about the city. Like, why is this city or this person the way that they are? And, mm-hmm. uh, but, you know, but, our, but Tavern of Heroes specifically just, just doesn't allow for that because the, the story doesn't, it's just not necessary to our stories. Mm-hmm. Well, we are reaching a different kind of audience than this traditional D&D player anyway. Yeah, we, my, Michael kept telling me, like, just uh, when, when writing, when I was really struggling with, um, you know, the desire to, to flush out and, and build a really uh, in-depth uh plot or narrative he was just saying like just focus on one thing man like just there's there's one objective there's one goal and 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 just have the heroes be moving towards that and 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 that's it and and don't go off those rails so to speak Hmm. a question i have is your system is geared towards getting people to play as quickly as possible and that is like something that i can totally like like i am just cheering you on so much because because that is so hard to basically pitch a system or even pitch what role-playing games are Um, so what are some struggles you've had with even like explaining role-playing games to people that don't know what they are because i think we've all had these struggles but all of the stories about these these kind of misconceptions i find absolutely hilarious so do you guys have any (laughs) stories of misconceptions oh yes i mean (laughs) in, in in terms of misconceptions Literally, one of the one of the um, the guys on our show, Graham Bunn, who's a, he's a radio host of Go Country One Hundred Five, a professional athlete, the last person in the world that you would ever expect would would play an RPG. <laughs> I kid you not. When he showed up, he's this this came out on air too, mm-hmm. um, episode episode three or four of our show. Um, he said, "I I was expecting to show up, and you guys would be in like capes and have wands and stuff." And we were going to be like doing spell <laughs> so incantations, and, oh and, and yeah, and and I think that speaks to this this broader perception that, ironically enough, is also a high barrier to entry. Is that just just back yeah. from back in the days of, of Gary Gygax and and all the the stipulations that uh, the stereotypes that went into D and D in the seventies of you know being satanic worship and all that stuff. 
I think it just literally through the years um, kept kept a lot of people away that um, they, they stop at like imaginary role playing because there's just so many scary, weird and not accurate places that um, that people's minds can go in terms of what it is, where Michael and I have found a lot more success just saying like it, we just cooperatively cooperatively tell a story together like that's it if you like stranger mm-hmm. things if you like yeah. game of thrones you'd probably love a tabletop rpg system it's uh mm-hmm. the other the other tag that i like to say is look it's basically going to be we're going to sit down to play this game and i and tell a story and i know what can happen in the story but you guys are going to decide what happens you know what i mean and like i think that breaks mm-hmm. it down conceptually mm-hmm. for people you know that they're like, yeah. okay, so I, I don't, I don't have to do voices. I don't have to like be really creative and come up with stuff. If this guy is gonna know what's gonna happen and stuff, you know, then then I can sit back a little bit and, and enjoy the ride. Yeah, mm-hmm. I want I want to highlight a um, we we had like three months of strategic development and and just to, to kind of um take this discussion down to a, a decision that we made that we talked about a little bit where. Um, and, and this 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 circles around perception that that um, most people have about D and D or Pathfinder is um, when you say dungeon master, most people are like, all right, well I'm out because you know, <laughs> right? And then even for Pathfinder, which I actually think is a, is a step removed or, or closer to mainstream, is game master. I think you know people are like, all right, I mean mm. I I get game. We went with story master because just you know from from that that first perception, hearing story is I think much more digestible oh, than yeah. than game or dungeon, right? Like like just the idea that I yeah, feel like I'm you're sitting around a campfire. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And like we're gonna tell a story together sounds much better than like we're gonna dive into a dungeon and kill some dragons. Like you just lose <laughs> yes, people. Yes. Uh, or you, I mean, I use the, I use I use people very loosely. I think we all know what I mean. Um, you know what? I just thought this is Michael. I just thought of another specific choice that relates to exactly what we're talking about. Um, one of the people in our campaign with Pathfinder for years was our dad. And the oh, amount yeah, right. of times oh. that my dad would need to roll a 1d8 and would pick up a 1d10 was oh, like, I mean, every <sighs> single session, multiple times would be like, Dad. That's a that's a D10, Dad. Pick up the D8. <laughs> so literally in our game, we have a percentage die and then a regular D6, a six-sided die. And that decision yeah. came from, I, I mean, yeah. just that perception alone. Like, I think if you tell people you need to go buy a dice set, people are like, well, what? what's a dice set? You know, like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, they don't know. It's amazing. But, like, most mm-hmm. people don't know what anything besides a six-sided die is like if you say a d4 oh, yeah. or a d20 they don't even know that that exists in the world uh-huh. you know they'll so- be like do i buy that with my <laughs> wand and wizard hat? <laughs> yeah. yeah right yeah <laughs> so exactly. so again it's like this conscious choice of if in our box set for tavern of heroes there you know you see six-sided die and sure the percentage die is probably going going to look a little bit weird but even the decision to make it percentage based so like we have you know, it's a it's essentially a D10 system, but we went with the percentage mm-hmm. die because it's kind of easier to wrap your head around. Hey, you have a hundred percent, a DC one hundred. Oh, like you know, it just sounds a, a little point. bit easier yeah. than mm-hmm. like if if again, I played with my wife once and I was like, you know, it did not go well. You need to roll your D20 oh, and add six, <laughs> and she was like, okay, I got a a twenty six, and she was like, but well, that's not very high, and you know, like it's even even that like perception mm. of. 
just uh, coming down to the dice, like the dice that we use can be really just weird. Like people just don't understand it. So it's, it can be a, that's a good point. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's amazing. I was just about to ask, like, why do you use a D 100 instead of a D 20? And that, that approach or that, that methodology or the mindset behind it just makes so much more sense because it's like, yeah, you have this percent chance to hit people comprehend versus like you have, you need a 19 plus five <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> to hit the AC. Yeah. And look, I mean, I'm saying that. And once you play one session, yeah, you, like, get you fully understand. But the problem is getting yeah. to that one, one session. session. You know, like it's just mm-hmm. it's so hard. You know, there, <laughs> yeah. there's also, I'm curious if you guys have, have had this experience as well. We, um, look, we, we, we have game nights all the time. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll play Settlers of Catan or celebrities or other, you know, just, just family fun games party with, games, with yeah. friends. Yeah. Party games. But, um, we have consistently 100% of the time failed to successfully invite people to play Pathfinder or D and D out of the gate. Like just to step that out. Mm-hmm. If we were to say to any of our friends, Hey, you want to come over and play Pathfinder or pl- come over and play D and D? It would be a hard pass, a hard pass. No. Right. <laughs> so what we've learned <sighs> is w- what we do is instead of saying, do you want to come play D and D or do you want to come and play Pathfinder? We'll say like, Hey, do you, uh, you know, do you like stranger things or do you like star Wars? And then if the answer is yes, it's, I mean, what if you could be Luke Skywalker? What if you could be Obi Wan? Yeah, like what if you could play <laughs> be Arya Stark? Yeah, exactly. Be... Instead of reading Game of Thrones, what if you could be one of the characters in Game of Thrones? And it's, let's just be and, honest, Jon Snow. It's yeah, just, Jon you Snow. would just be Jon Snow. <laughs> yeah. But you know, yep. it, it's it's amazing how much more of a success rate we have with approaching it from like the story and experience perspective rather than like the game perspective. You know what I mean? <laughs> have you guys ever yeah. have you guys ever had any you know fail stories or anything actually it sounds like uh was it will that you've had a lot of success or that, that you're known as as like the guy that has gotten everybody into D. so yeah i, mm-hmm. I find it really weird because i haven't like censored it um but i have kind of a different community of people here um it all started in a uh, church summer camp and so everybody's already like a high schooler anyway including jake and david at the time mm-hmm. yep. um because i'm a little bit older than these guys but um and I, I said, hey, Grandpa. you want to play D&D? And they're like, wait, that that forbidden game that like we can't even say the name of? Yes, oh, absolutely. Let's play it camp. at church. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <The> forbidden fruit. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, like more recently, because, you know, growing up happens and that my circle of friends has kind of shifted a lot um, with my career. Um, like if you pitch D&D to somebody who's just a regular work a day, like white collar guy, uh, it's a hard pass. Yeah. Like, um, absolutely not. It's weird though because I feel like people are more curious than ever though about D and D. Yeah, look, the Netflix. Who are, I'm sorry, not Netflix. Mm-hmm. Stranger, Stranger Things, things yeah. and Game of Thrones yeah. have like this is the best time that yeah. we've ever had to get people yeah, into yeah. the fantasy genre. Because I agree, I, and I think that there is like widespread, maybe not large interest but a little bit of interest now and like hey those kids were playing D and and look demogorgon yeah and game of thrones <laughs> is so popular and huge and it's basically just freaking D D only you know yeah yeah so it's 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 easier to sell it so uh, there's a blog post that i'll put in the show notes uh, that George Martin wrote about an experience he had when he was DMing a game inside of Westeros and like what happened in that campaign. Oh my gosh. Really interesting. Yeah, it's super cool. Because of course George Martin plays freaking D&D. He, yeah. DM'd, oh, yeah. he DMs yeah. inside of Westeros? That's what I mean more. Like... I mean, who else is better to do it than him? Yeah. I would pay an absurd oh, amount of money so to have a seat <laughs> at that table and be in that game. 
Maybe if well, we see, he's probably doing money, that instead of writing the, the next book. freaking book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, know, right. Seriously. Yeah, that's probably true. Have you guys read all of them? Are you guys caught up? Oh, I've, I've read book the show. one, I've read... but I can't commit because yeah. I know it will never finish. And I can't commit to a series that that the author may, in fact, probably will die before it ends. I just, I can't give myself over to that. You're, you're protecting well, yourself. Show... That's smart. This show yes, is past yes. where the books end <laughs> now, so like, why, yeah. why bother? Yeah. Oh, it's hurtful. We have basically a system that that honestly got us hooked uh, because my first Dungeons and Dragons experience was um, we asked a hypothetical, and I'm a huge superhero fan, and we thought who would win between the fights, Superman or Green Lantern? And my friend was like, "Let's figure it out." And he held up this weird dodecahedron. And I was like, what is that? And he's like, it's a D20. And so we began role-playing just as me playing Green Lantern, trying to beat up my friend who was playing Superman. And so we we eventually even created our own system that we're going to definitely reveal soon um, called Super Random, where basically you pick out of a fishbowl and get two superpowers and create a superhero. And I feel like that lowers the barrier of entry even more because everyone knows what a Marvel superhero is. Everyone knows what a tragic backstory is. Everyone knows like how to act in a group of superheroes. And so like all of those things even lower the barrier of entry more, which I think what you guys are trying to do with Tavern of Heroes, and that's Absolutely. the goal, is to get people into the hobby. Because it's like, we all like have seen the light and are just like, this is so much fun. And so it's how do you drag people in without them being like, well, do I need to purchase a wand and talk with a lisp <laughs> and put on a wizard's hat? And, you know, it's like, how do we get away from that stereotype mm-hmm. and lower the barrier of entry so there's yep. no way of keeping it. People preach. can just rush in. <laughs> that made me think of a, a question that I actually want to, that Steve and I are still unanswered on in terms of the design Ooh. of our system. It's something I want to run by you guys. Um, so we have, we actually have uh, 12 heroes created for our game that oh, you can yeah. play. We've only announced or released 10 of them that are, that are part of our show. But one of the things that Steve and I go back and forth on constantly is when we do publish the game, which we're hoping to do like a beta version in 2019 and then hopefully actually publish with, you know, like full custom artwork and pawns and blah, blah, blah into that in 2020. Mm-hmm. One of the big things we're wrestling with is <clears throat> allowing players just having a character creation system, which essentially for our game is like a point by system, you know, like you can increase mm-hmm. your AC or do higher damage output. Um, and have yeah. more blah, blah, blah. Like I'll, I, I won't yeah, run through the whole system the V1 of a point by because here's, here's kind of the crux of the argument. I would argue that what makes you the most invested in a D and D in a tabletop RPG session is if you create a character, right? Cause then it's like, then it's your boy mm. or it's your girl. And like, you do yeah. not want them yeah. to die and you are fully invested. But one of the, in my opinion, the highest barrier to entry to play the game is character creation because it's so hard, at least for Pathfinder. Oh, it's that paradox, I yeah. Well, you know, no, I, I created a 5e mm-hmm. character too. I created a cleric named Umara Gandu, and she's awesome. Anyway, but you know, like <laughs> that takes that takes like three hours. You know what I mean? Like you need to you and like sitting down, you need to know. Well, not for I'm not for Tavern of Heroes, but anyway, I think I've I've overstated it now. But just do you guys think that it is important to have a system? 
system that allows for character creation or with kind of generally what you know about Tavern of Heroes now, do you think it's possible to duck that and just have like basically pre-gen characters that you sit down and play with? And can you get invested in the story? And would it be interesting enough to play like, you know, you sit down and play an adventure and in our game you play as Miriam and then... The next time that you sit down with your friends, you play as Cole Hardwell, who's basically like our tank and our warrior. Like, is that interesting mm. enough? You know what I mean? Interesting. Mm. So you're asking, um, like, we're just, so in the, the box set, like the final published box set, instead of a character creation system, you just have a bunch of pre-mades and you just take the role of that pre-made. Is that what you're asking? Right. So do you have the, the pre-mades, the, the 12 uh, heroes that, that we have created? And when you open up the box set, you choose from one of those? Or do we have blank hero sheets in there and a system that allows you to uh, a very streamlined easy system to hold up to a mission oh, statement okay. that so allows have, you to create the, the hero i may have a okay. solution that i've seen um dungeon world kind of does this with what they call playbooks and so um i think they still call them classes but they're more like archetypes and then you just check the boxes on what you want and so you have um very clearly on a very small piece of paper like oh this is um like the bruiser Right. It's more of a concept. And then like, oh, well, I want to be a bruiser who's extra tough or I could be one who's extra like punchy or whatever. Sure. Um, huh. And so that way it narrows the decisions that players have to make. But then you still have a lot of control over the theming of that that pre-made mm-hmm. and, and so i'm going to assume then is like the heavy lifting of you know choosing your ability scores and choosing your feats and your talents and skills like is all of that already done okay oh so that is basically what we're yeah mm-hmm. that's a huge okay. deal so so mm-hmm. my i would say just including random tables like even just two like uh roll the percentile dice twice and, you know, say you roll and get a two and then roll and get a 10. It says, okay, you're an orphan and you were raised by giants. Like, like oh, those two things alone can just add so much flavor. And so, I don't know, I think just maybe two very minor random tables and say, hey, you can pick whichever two from these 10 that you like the most. But then other than that, having completely pre-made characters, but you just plug in that backstory so they have some agency to yes, be able sir. to feel like they they crafted it just enough to get them hooked in to that personality. And then obviously mm. I think the biggest thing period for character creation is the name. Like just if you get to pick just oh, yeah. the name yeah. alone, yeah. that honestly is like yeah. 90% of the creation. I want to try to frame the question in a different way and, and let, let you guys um, wrestle, wrestle this one out. Um, it's I'll try to use the Marvel property like is fighting Thanos so exciting and and so cool that it doesn't matter if you do it as Iron Man or if you do it as Jake Barton, which, by the way, sounds like a superhero name. Right. <laughs> it does, actually. You know what I mean? Like, so if, well, if you think you. of the, the hook, I guess what I'm really asking is, can the hook from a story perspective be so compelling and for a new player, um, you know, grab them enough where they're they're fine playing a pre-generated character that they don't have a lot of personal investment in because at the end of the day, like killing Thanos or killing Sauron or whoever is 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 so exciting enough that they don't need to to have the character creation. And I, and I'm, I don't I don't I don't think that there's I'm not trying to offer an answer one way or the other. I'm just I, I want to hear you guys uh, your your thoughts oh, on that. Dang, that's a good man. question. That, that's an interesting <laughs> oh, man, question. That's tough. Um, Actually, honestly, you know uh, what it made me think of, and I don't want to cut you guys off, but I, I, I wanted, <laughs> I'm thinking about it too. 
League of Legends is actually kind of a good example. It's like careful. When, that's my that's our yeah, IP. But when you <laughs> <laughs> when you load up as you know like sure. the people that I would play is Vigar or Alistar or Teemo. Let's be honest. Mm-hmm. You know, like <laughs> would I be more invested if it was like you know? Your. Yeah, I created written like a, you, you know, could my, pick my the color or the name it, it is it becomes well let's yeah i want to hear you mm-hmm. i want to hear you guys thoughts so uh i kind of have like a story that i want to share that kind of ties into this so we played dcc which is dungeon crawl classics and what happened is we got a bunch of level zero characters and they're randomly generated they're all randomly generated they have their own weird backgrounds and like some of them come with like cows or like a pitchfork, whatever. They they all have their own. They're just village people, and you go on an adventure, and so many of them die. But by the end, you're so attached to your characters that you're to playing the survivors. just because of yeah, mm-hmm, to the experience of the characters. Even though you you didn't choose or roll their, you didn't choose the stats or anything about them. It was just kind of random, and you just become so attached based off of the experiences that you had. That you that you love the characters at the end so much more than you could have ever known to like a character than when you started. So you're saying there is some uh, argument to be made for falling into love with the character mm-hmm. that you didn't yeah. necessarily create. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because would yeah, you rather I... enjoy the character more at the beginning of the game than at the end? Ooh, I personally, I would question. rather that's enjoy the character a hundred times more at the end and who they become. Oh, wow, man. actually, that oh, that's good. That honestly summarizes it really well because for us, you know, looking at it from a game design perspective for Tavern of Heroes, it's like, would you rather give the player the experience of, let's just call it 10 minutes or 15 minutes where they need to sit down before they play and roll these dice and, and create this character? Yeah, would we rather give them that or would we rather, you know, they hop right in and by maybe the sixth time that they play, Miriam, I'll just use her again as an example, she dies and like we have death in our game and spoiler yeah and you know like <laughs> and i guess what you're saying is like ultimately won't you care about miriam so much by because the sixth time that you've her. played her and like you don't want her to die because you've played her so oh. you're still kind of ultimately getting the the end experience that we want and so you don't really need to front load it then mm-hmm. if you create your own and look yeah. and i think an argument could be made for the other side too i think right away you've got agency in a mm-hmm. character that you created but you know in terms of the player experience with yeah. picking it off the shelf and sitting down to play you know, is that is it worth it? Like, because if you and get also the same from from a game design perspective, the like if you're if you're putting out copies of this and different people are playing from you know on different sides of the planet and they're like, oh, I played Miriam in this way, and oh, well, I played Miriam in this way, and suddenly you're having this kind of empathy between heroes that are like that are already made, but you can play them differently, and that. I'm almost coming from the opposite perspective of I want to have a million pages of backstory and have all this character arc set up. Me too. But this yeah, is almost I, yeah. the opposite. I I love this because you can say, oh, I played the same game, but it ended up so differently. And it just like sparks conversation and empathy amongst players of the same game. Honestly, okay. Jake, so I, I, have, I love hearing you say sorry, it that way because no. it's it's frankly, it's one of the things that I don't want to use the word I'm afraid of. But it's one of the things that I'm worried about. It's like, uh, or I'll put it this way. Like, Steve and I love, I don't know if you guys have had experiences yet gaming at conventions, but like, I love gaming at conventions where people bring characters 
that they made. You know what I mean? Like that. That's like that's their boy, oh, and yeah, like I've got yeah. my character that I sit down with, and I love. You get to learn about the other. Yeah, and part of what I'm worried about if Tavern of Heroes ever blows up, and like I'm picturing it in a convention setting, it's like if people sit down, and they you know someone. Well, no, not not necessarily if two people want to play Miriam. I don't have a problem with that. But if someone sits down to play and another person in their game plays Miriam like totally differently than someone that they have played with before, if it like bumps them, if it makes the experience weird, if it's like, well, that's not that's not what Miriam sounds like. Like, why? You know what I mean? Okay, like, okay. It, I think that I think that won't be a problem because we live in a world that has so many. I mean, I'm thinking of Bioshock Infinite and like uh, yeah. all of the oh Marvel God, universe and all the game. DC universe. We all understand that there are alternate timelines, and so I don't think that any of that would affect a even basically minorly mature player. Because they they would be like, yeah. oh no, this is this is a different universe's hero that I've seen a different version of. But no, I don't think that would be a problem. Actually, when I you say it that, that way, um, it's actually kind of cool. Uh, or I think it can be really cool <laughs> to see that someone plays yeah. it, how someone plays a character slightly differently. For the kind of game you're going for, where you want this, um, just really like a board game experience, you take it off a shelf and you can just play it right now. Um, I think for new players, especially the ones who are not D&D players and they wouldn't play that kind of thing. Um, at least not at first. Yes, exactly. Uh, being That's able the key. To hand them, being able to hand them a strong character concept with a name and kind of like a backstory that's already done. Just um, it, it is lifting or it, it's doing the heavy lifting for them because so many times I sit down with a new player and I say, make your character and they're like, uh... <laughs> Okay, uh, I'm I'm just James Bond. I just play as James Bond. Right. Like they they have they they don't have a, the creative muscles yet. Uh, um, they haven't exercised that to like really create this kind of thing. So um, mm. I think that these pre-mades are a really good solution for that audience. Especially yeah. if you it the the system is targeted at just getting people into the hobby for their first time ever. Like having a pre-made character so they they're like Will saying their experience to what a good character could be gives them that platform to jump off of in the future saying like oh i know from experience playing a good hero like these are some of the things that i want to include in my next actually and it even it even made me think because i really like the idea of kind of the hybrid answer here of like you know roll a a d10 or roll a d6 and that randomly is going to pick these two qualities i think i think that's really cool and then you can come up with your Mm -hmm. name but that that sounds like it's probably like a second edition thing you know like in 2022 when we release it you know (laughs) 10 new adventures and then it has a make your own hero feature it seems like that's a good that's a good progression. Oh, yeah, do you guys yeah. have a Patreon? Like, let me subscribe. <laughs> uh, no, I look. That's that's certainly where we're headed. It's we just want to pump people full of content and build our fan base as much as we can for probably six months to a year uh, before we do a Patreon. But you know, we want to do like additional content, like do uh basically like longer form storytelling um if you haven't been to our website yet you know we have a whole world called Elderon and a fully interactive map that's mm-hmm. got its own back history and lore like we've certainly done all the heavy lifting for uh the world to support really long form storytelling mm-hmm. so one of the first things we want to do is you know like basically release 10 episodes of a single story uh is like one of the of Patreon myth. goals yeah. and then obviously the bigger ones are 
uh, do a beta version in, in 2019 and then, and then yeah, for play testing. Cause look, that's kind of the big thing that's missing. Like we've played this with a lot of people, primarily our cast and, and a few others outside of that. But what a rule system really needs is just rigorous play testing, right? Mm-hmm. You got to beat those numbers yeah. to death and make sure that everything's balanced. And, um, mm-hmm. so that's likely what 2019 will be. Um, and then 2020 is where we really want to get into, you know, publishing and going to cons and, but, but obviously all that doesn't happen without, yeah, I uh, mean, step, Patreon. step one was releasing, well, I guess developing the game system. Step two was the show. Step three will certainly be a Patreon. Um, once we feel like we have the, the fan base to, to support it and, and kind of un- unlock the, the goals or the, the next steps that we want to do for the show and, and the game. But, um, yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of end of Q4 of 2019 is what we're thinking. Yeah. Man, that's awesome. great. you guys plan uh, pretty far ahead. Yeah, yeah. Oh, we're we're thinking like, oh God, can we record tomorrow? <laughs> well, no, no, we still have that problem as well. <laughs> well, I'm, I want to be able to ask where we can find your show. Uh, honestly, guys, I feel like it's just appropriate to end with a massive thank you. Like, I I, I, met, I could honestly go for another two hours. Like, I, I feel like you, you guys are like the boys, <laughs> yeah, and we've yes, we've known cool. each other for years. So, um, and we're we're yeah. just cut from the same cloth. So, uh, no, just <laughs> just a massive thank you, and and this was this was an absolute blast. Um, I have to say that, like, just after this conversation, I'm more excited to like p- talk about D and D and play the Tavern of Heroes system, and like, it just has got my creative juices going in a way that, um, well, that only podcasting can. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I David, <laughs> David, put your shirt back on. <laughs> I, I was just taking it off. Uh, um, so yeah, okay. so look, I'll, I'll kind of hammer out the <coughs> the details for the show. So. Um, you can listen to Tavern of Heroes literally wherever you get your podcast now. Um, we've done seven episodes so far. This is a little peek behind the curtain. We've actually recorded 24 episodes, so we have a ton Whoa. of content ready wow. to flush out. And man, it just gets wow. like it just gets better and better, guys. We have, there's been some really really great stories um, to come out. Anyway, so so you know definitely download wherever you want. You can follow us on Instagram at m nightbringer. Um, the guy that runs the Tavern of Heroes is uh, named Malar Nightbringer. So he basically is responsible for all of our social media. Um, oh. and, that, and our email is mnightbringer at gmail.com if you have any questions about the system and, and about the show or anything. And then our website is just tavernofheroes.com where you can listen to the episodes, look at all of our cast headshots and bios and stuff. And the yeah. big thing I'm telling you is the interactive map. It's really cool. Like as adventures come out and we venture to different parts in Elderon, mm-hmm. you can... Uh, yeah, you can get a little peek behind the screen of like what that area that, that the heroes went to is all about. Wow. Ooh, I love um, it. And then what, did you have a website for it? Cause I'm having trouble tracking it down. Uh, yeah, it's just tavern of heroes.com. Okay. Wow. Will, are you bad right at now? Googling? Cause I'm excited. <laughs> <laughs> all right well i'm gonna look at that later i've also stalked you a lot on imdb and i must say i'm impressed oh no my imdb <laughs> is not impressive well, if you're a bachelor fan, well, you're a bachelor fan it's impressive otherwise i don't even have an IMDb. better than ours yeah. no i've no, never my, met anyone with an imdb my, all of the work that i do is largely development based which means i don't get an imdb credit until it gets oh. made and that rarely happens in hollywood so classic uh, but oh, but anyway it's a shame so oh wait 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 wait! I have one more question. I yeah. am fully obsessed with your guys' Instagram account. Where do you get those images? Like, do you just where do you get all of the posts, the pictures for your posts? Oh, it's all Reddit. Gorgeous. 
So I am I am the official Instagrammer for uh, our podcast, and um, actually I have been going to um, so that, like the the artist for the D and D books. Yeah, I will go to a, a website called ArtStation, and I find the artist I like, and then I look at their entire portfolio, oh, okay. and then I just start pulling stuff. So if you look at like the last. Um, probably five or six posts. It'll be the same artist. Yeah, they do for like style- four in a row. Yeah, it looks like stylistically, <laughs> there's a few in a row. Um, yep. And so I've been doing that because like I have mined the minds of Reddit dry. Um, so I'm now I'm just yeah, that's stuff a good that, point. Um, no one has has seen. That's dope. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Vox Arcana episode 17. I'm William. I'm Jake. I'm David. I'm Michael. I'm Stephen. We'll see you next time. Follow us on social media. Our Twitter is at Vox Arcana Podcast. Our Facebook and Instagram are at Vox Arcana Podcast. Our email is Vox Arcana Podcast at gmail.com. And yes, we've all gained a little weight. <laughs>